God, we thank you for that amazing love. Lord, fill us again with the joy of our salvation. And as we come to your word, I pray that you would prepare us to hear from you, open up our hearts and our minds and our understanding. Pray that you would speak through me. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. One of the things I really uh, love about our church is how much we let other people uh, use this facility. Um, it, it gets used a lot. It has been used. And I'm, I'm actually really happy in uh, the investment that we made to, to update it and renovate it because I think it has been and will continue to be a good investment um, for this generation and for others to come. Um, if you didn't know, we have uh, two other congregations that actually meet here on Sundays. Uh, we have the Koran Baptist Church that meets at 1 o'clock. Um, we also have our our African Fellowship that meets at uh, 3 p.m. or so. Um, and so we have people in here all the time, and all day long this building is filled with, with worship and praise. Um, and then uh, beginning this September, we're excited that we're partnering with Outreach Community Ministries. Um, as many of you know, that we're bringing in an after-school program uh, here beginning in the fall. You're going to hear more about that uh, a little bit later in the service. Um, but we're excited to welcome them as well. So whenever we share a space uh, with kind of an ongoing uh, renter, or group, uh, we typically give them a, uh, a key uh, that allows them to get into the external doors of the church. So Bill Humor or our office coordinator make sure that they, they get a renter's key. Now, if they were to be here, you know, kind of wandering around the building, looking at, you know, looking to get around, and they try to open uh, one of the internal doors that was locked, they would not be able to do so. You know, that's pretty standard protocol for, for safety and rental agreements. Um, but if they wanted to get one of those doors, they would need what's called the master key. If you want to be able to open the rest of the doors, you need the master key. The key that can open any of the doors, internal and external in the facility. So if you're walking around and you don't have the master key, there's just some doors that won't open. And as we go through the journey of life and living on God's mission as the church, we're going to need directions about what doors to try to open, what doors to try to go down. Um, and we're going to need power to open doors that seem impossible to open. And I once heard a Tony Evans sermon describing how Jesus has the master key. The master key to the universe. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. He is the one who holds the master key. And any door he wants to open, he can open. Any door he wants to close, he can close. And as our friends... Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke, who has joined them in this chapter, as they travel on this second missionary journey, they happen to be traveling with somebody who has the master key. And some doors he's not going to open. Other doors he is going to open. And where he wants them to go, he is going to make a way. And the adventure is about to begin. I want to remind you of where we've been in the story. We just concluded last week the Jerusalem Council. Uh, where it was decided that Gentiles, they do not need to become Jewish. They do not need to be circumcised and obey the Old Covenant. Uh, however, they still have some moral and relational and missional obligations. After that, Paul and Barnabas have a sharp dispute about bringing John Mark along with them. So much so that, unfortunately, they have to go their separate ways. That's how this second missionary journey begins when we pick up our story in Acts 16. I invite you to turn that with me in your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Acts 16, and that's Acts 16, Paul revisits Lystra and Derby, uh, two places from his first missionary journey. 
Um, and that's where he meets Timothy, uh, where I reminded you last week, because he was going on a, on a mission where he would be going to the synagogues, reaching the Jewish people, he shockingly has Timothy circumcised. Even though they decided they didn't need to do that in the Jerusalem Council, he does it anyway so that they can have an audience with the Jewish people that they're going to be reaching. And then it picks up in verse 6. Paul and his companions, they travel throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they come to the border of Mycenae, they try to enter, enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Friends, I want to remind you of something I said at the beginning of the sermon series, that it's the beginning of Acts starts with the ascension, right? And so Jesus ascends to heaven, he go, but he, that doesn't mean he's not with us. He's behind the curtain of this world, and he is present with us by his Holy Spirit. And so this group, they're not traveling alone. They're traveling with the Lord, and he has the master key. And what do they do? They try to enter a door, but the Holy Spirit says it prevents them from entering it. For some reason, this is a door that God does not want them to enter right now. And then it says in verse 7, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, just a little bit of an aside here. Notice how in verse 6, it's the Holy Spirit, and in verse 7, it's the Spirit of Jesus. There is such a, a connection between the two and between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We worship one God who is three in one. But it says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter a door that he did not want them opening. And we wonder how exactly did they know that the Holy Spirit did not want them to go to these places? How did the Spirit of Jesus prevent them from going down these doors? Uh, I'm sad to say that no commentators really know. It's a little bit of a mystery. Luke does not uh, uh, explain it directly. But I think there is a, uh, a way of seeing this as we look at how did the Holy Spirit guide the church throughout the book of Acts, because that is probably the way that uh, he guided them here. How did they hear from and get direction from God? So there are many ways, and I'm just going to kind of lay these out here for you. How did the church receive guidance from the Spirit? Well, sometimes it was prophecy. Someone would receive a word from the Lord, and they would speak it out to the church. Sometimes, number two, it was dreams and visions. Uh, remember in Acts 2, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And remember in Acts 10, Peter gets the vision of the clean and the unclean foods and about Cornelius and going to his household. God spoke to them through dreams and visions. Another way, the third way is through uh, corporate worship. Remember in Acts 13, while they were worshiping and praying, they heard the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And frankly, that's my probably my biggest prayer every Sunday is that you would come here expecting that God wants to speak to you, that God wants to speak to us, that he actually might have a word for you right now as you're listening to me speak and as you're listening to the scriptures. Lord, what are you saying? And there's a group of us that pray every morning that God would speak and minister to us. A fourth way that they heard from the Spirit is they would listen to the Spirit's voice. 
in Acts 8, it says the Spirit tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And that was the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. And so, from my own experience and many Christians I've talked to and things I've read, typically I think people experience this as some type of, of inner voice in the heart. A fifth way is an inner prompting. In Acts 20, Paul says, I'm now compelled, I'm compelled by the Spirit that I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. And this word that Paul uses, compelled, it's a word that can mean to be tied to something, to be bound to something, like bound in chains to this. And sometimes the Lord will put such a burden in our hearts that we just can't ignore it. In fact, this happened to Nehemiah. Remember the story of Nehemiah? In Nehemiah 2, he says he's walking around, looking at the wall, inspecting the wall, and he says, I did not tell anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. It was a burden. This is something that the Nehemiah and Paul, they could not ignore, that, and they recognized that God is doing this. God is putting this in my heart. A sixth, a sixth way that they received guidance was from discernment of the church community. When they write the letter from the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, they say, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. In other words, they recognized in their communal discernment that the, the Spirit had guided and brought clarity to what needed to happen. A seventh way is from guidance from pastoral leaders. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul tells the elders of the church of Ephesus, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. In other words, God, the Holy Spirit, appoints pastors and leaders to help bring guidance, that overseeing function to bring clarity to the Lord's direction. And finally, an eighth way is confirmation by the Word of God. In Acts 15, we mentioned last week how James, he says, all, the, all this is happening, the, the, all the miracles of the Gentiles coming to the faith, and then he says, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. The Word of God is in agreement with what is happening right now. And so we believe the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, and so when, we, we, when we're sensing that maybe God is telling me to do something, we just need to make sure, does it align with the Word of God? And finally, I want to give you a, bon a bonus thought because this is not really a way they receive guidance. But I want us to understand that obstacles are not a sign of God's no, and ease is not a sign of God's yes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened for me. And then the very next thing he says, and there are many who oppose me. Oh, this great opportunity for ministry has, has opened for me. Oh, and there's so many people who oppose me there. The obstacles were not a sign that God was closing the door. And ease is not a sign that God is necessarily opening a door. Think about all the challenges that Nehemiah faced when he went to rebuild the wall for Jerusalem. So we, we have to take all of these things into consideration as we're seeking to discern the direction of the Holy Spirit. And some of you might, might be wondering, well, gosh, why don't I hear from God more? Why don't I experience uh, His direction in my life? Well, I would ask you, are you pursuing Him through these means uh, of which I have just mentioned? And are you living on mission for Him? Because Paul and his team, they receive direction because they are on the mission of God. They're trying to spread the gospel and his glory to the nations. And if we're trying to hear from God, 
without pursuing the mission of God, then I don't think we should expect to hear the voice of God. The man with the master key, he wants to open doors for his glory, for his mission, for his purposes. And that's why we're following him around. And he will open the doors when we're seeking him. So if I were to sum this, this point up, I would say this. As we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit guides us to open doors for the gospel. He guides us to the open doors for his mission. And so God, in his sovereign purposes, he closes some doors. He doesn't want them to go to these places. And then he opens the door for them to go to Macedonia. And so not only does the Spirit guide us to open doors for the gospel, the second thing I really want to say this morning is the Lord opens doors for all kinds of people to be saved. He opens doors for all kinds of people, all kinds of people to come to his salvation. And I'm going to point out there are three people uh, in this story. The first is Lydia. The missionary team comes to Philippi. This is the, the leading city uh, in Macedonia. It was a Roman colony, um, and there happened to be no Jewish synagogue in, the, in that place. But Jewish folk would often find if there was no synagogue, they would find a place in the community, community to pray, perhaps often by water, um, and they would find a place to pray on the Sabbath day. And so that's when in verse 13 says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So Lydia is a businesswoman. She's not actually from Philippi. She's from Thyatira, and she's there basically as a business agent working the territory of Philippi. That's what she's doing, and she's selling expensive purple cloth. Now, purple was extremely hard to make at that time. Uh, you had to actually uh, collect it from a certain shellfish, um, so it was very hard to make, very hard to get, and so purple and purple cloth was more of a, a luxury item. And so this was a woman of considerable means. She was wealthy. She had a household that depended upon her, uh, and she was able to invite this missionary team to come stay with her and receive support from her. And so Lydia, she represents in many ways kind of the upper class. She's wealthy. She's in business. She's successful. But she's also somebody who the Bible says, even before she becomes a Christian, she was seeking after God. She was a worshiper of God. This was a Gentile. She did not become Jewish, but she was seeking after the God of the Bible. And so it seems that even in the midst of all of her wealth, all of her business success, the wonderful household that she was able to have, something in her life was missing. Something in her life did not add up. It did not satisfy. And so she began seeking. What is, who am I? What is my purpose? Who is, who is the God of this, of this universe? And then Paul comes and shares the gospel with her. And although Jesus said, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, the one with the master key, He's able to open that door. And the Lord opens Lydia's heart to respond to the gospel. So people come to Christ by hearing the message about Christ, but the Lord works in the heart. And God opens the door of opportunity for Paul to share the message, and he also opens the door of Lydia's heart for her to respond to the message about Jesus. The second person that we encounter in the story is a slave girl who is possessed by a demon. 
And she was making money for her owners by uh, the spirit would uh, offer predictions and tell fortunes, and they were selling that uh, for profit. And so this encounter, it reminds us of many similar encounters that Jesus had, we read about in the Gospels. Um, and be, this demon somehow knows the identity of who these apostles are and what they're doing. Um, and just as they w- did with Jesus, they went about shouting out their true identity. In verse 17, she's shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she keeps this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, this event, uh, it's a little bit puzzling because you might be wondering, well, why didn't Paul just deliver her from the demon right away? Uh, We don't know why. Uh, Maybe it wasn't the Lord's timing. Maybe uh, the one with the master key was not ready to open the door yet. Um, But Paul gets so annoyed. And he's not annoyed with the woman. He's annoyed with this demonic spirit that is controlling her life. And that's why he's like, in the name of Jesus, be set free. Now, we aren't told that this woman specifically trusts in Christ. But if we compare it to other stories in the Gospels, it's a very safe assumption that this is what happened. And the fact that Luke includes her between Lydia and the jailer, who both come to Christ, uh, it's a very safe assumption and and confirmation that this slave girl who is delivered, she probably becomes a member of the church in Philippi, to which Paul writes a letter later in his career. And as it says in Colossians, God rescues us from the dominion of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So God, he opens this door of salvation to this this enslaved woman who is enslaved both to this demonic spirit and to these owners who were abusing her and using her. And this woman represents the lowest of, of status in society. But I want you to know the master key, it's not just for big and important doors. It's not just for the nice-looking doors. It's for the doors that are down the streets that you don't really want to drive down. It opens doors in places that we would rather avoid. And the one with the master key, he's willing to go all the way, all the way down to the lowest parts of our broken world. And he wants to open the door for those who are broken, for those who are hurting, for those who are enslaved by all kinds of things. He wants to open the door to them and open the door of salvation that they might find redemption in him. So when Paul casts the demon out of this slave girl, it causes quite a commotion. This woman was owned by people who were selling her for profit, right? And now that this power is gone, they are no longer going to be able to make money. And so they are, frankly, very angry about this. And so these owners, they try to get Paul and Silas in trouble by taking them before the authorities in Philippi. In verse 20, they say, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And they use that awful tool of racism and prejudice to stir up trouble for Paul and Silas. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony. They were very proud to be Roman. They wanted to keep the Roman ways and the Roman customs. And so the slave girl's owners, they play up that card and say, these these guys are Jews. We're Romans. And they're advocating stuff that we shouldn't do. And it works. 
It works. A commotion rises and they get stripped of their clothing. They get beaten with rods. They are flogged and thrown in prison. And the guard places them in the inner cell and puts their feet in stocks. Brian Rapsky, scholar, explains that the stocks normally caused extreme discomfort as the prisoner had to sleep either in a sitting position or lying down on the floor. And changing position to avoid cramping was nearly impossible. So essentially, they're placed in a maximum security prison of that time. They, they don't want these guys to get out. And then it says about midnight, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow. Singing and praising the Lord at midnight in a dungeon. Nothing could stop the joy of salvation that Paul and Silas had in Christ. And they were actually doing what Jesus had told them to do. Blessed are you when people persecute you and do all kinds of evil things against you. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. They were rejoicing and were glad because they knew they followed a stronger Lord and Savior who was going to reward them. And so this worshiping becomes a witness to everybody who is listening in this prison, and that's when the miracle happens. The earthquake happens. The dungeon doors fly open. The chains fall off. You see, the powers that be, they thought that they had locked these guys in a door that no one could open. They had thought they had put them in chains that no one could break. But they didn't know that these guys were following the one who has the master key. He can open any door. Any door that anybody tries to shut, he can open it. And that's what he does, the impossible. Everything opens for them. And then we meet the final person in this story, who is the jailer, who had put them into this prison. This is more of a blue-collar worker. William Barclay says, If Lydia came from the top end of the social scale and the slave girl from the bottom, the Roman jailer was one of the sturdy middle class who made up the Roman civil service. And so in these three, the whole range within society was complete. As I said, the Lord opens doors for all kinds of people to be saved. From the bottom to the top, he wants all to come to find salvation in Jesus Christ. But this jailer was in trouble. Because now that he's, these prisoners are about to be free, he knows that his life is in danger. And so he thought that his life was ruined, and he thought that his life was over. And he was about to kill himself. But Paul shouts, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! You know, sometimes people just need to hear this. And maybe someone listening, maybe some of you in this room, maybe someone watching me online, you need to hear don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. Don't hate yourself. Don't hate your life. We're all here. We may not be in a prison, but we're all here. We're all here for you. We love you. Don't do anything rash. We're right here for you. It's not too late to get out of the mess you're in. It's not too late to fix things. It's not too late to receive forgiveness. It's not too late to find reconciliation. It's not too late to fix things and let God redeem your life. And if you're in that spot or if you know someone in that spot, man, let someone know right away. You can let me know. 
someone you trust. So Paul tells them, don't harm yourself. We're all right here. Then the jailer calls for the lights. They rush in. They fall trembling before Paul and Silas. He brings them out and he asks them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so God not only opens the door to this jail, he also opened the door to the jailer's heart. And from beginning to end in this whole narrative, God has been opening all of the right doors at all of the right times. And he made sure the believers did not go down any of the wrong doors, that he didn't want them to go down. He guided them with his sovereign wisdom and care to accomplish his purposes. And then he opens the door for all kinds of people to be saved. Lydia from the upper class, the slave girl from the bottom, the jailer from the middle class. God opens the door for all who would believe in his son and find everlasting life. Let me give you a few comments for how we can apply this text. Number one, we are called to walk through the door of salvation. While this story about the dungeon is not necessarily about salvation, this miracle in this prison, this has been used by many Christians to depict what salvation is like. That we're, that we're locked in this prison of sin and death and hell. And then Jesus comes and he sets us free out of that prison so we can go forth in freedom and that we have the hope of his resurrection and ascension. And so Jesus has opened the prison door for us, but we have to walk through it. And if you're listening to me and you've never taken that step to walk through that door of salvation, I invite you to talk to me after the service or talk to somebody you trust and walk through that door. And as we sang earlier in that hymn by John Wesley, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, I went forth, and followed thee. We're called to walk through the door of salvation that Jesus has opened. The second thing, as we are called to walk through the open doors that we have for the gospel. We're called to walk through the open doors we have for the gospel. We, we are to remember that every Christian, in some sense, is a missionary. Every member is a missionary. We carry the good news of the gospel everywhere we go. And so I pray that we would have the eyes to see that we're on this missionary journey together. And some of you, you're at that stage uh, in your life, and you're wondering maybe, uh, you know, what should I do for a career? You know, what, what, what program should I study in school? Uh, should I marry? Who should I marry? You're thinking about these things. Um, and even if you're not in that stage, we all face uh, many uh, decisions about transitions and different things in life. Um, and I'm reminded of a quote by Pastor Mark Batterson. And he essentially says, God cares more about getting to where he wants you to go more than you do. God cares more about your future than even you care about it. And so, friends, be reminded that he cares for you, that he loves you, and that he wants to actually guide you. And if you would seek him first, if you would seek his kingdom first, if you would be about his mission, seeking to go through those open doors that you have for the gospel, then you can rest assured that he will guide you to the right doors in your life. He can close the doors you're not supposed to go down, and he can open up the doors you need to go down. If you would just seek him first and trust him, and trust his timing. And finally, we are called to open our hearts and our homes to others. 
The theme of hospitality, it's a little bit hidden in this story, but after Lydia comes to know Jesus, what does she do right away? She, has, she persuades them to come stay with her in her house. Um, and if my memory serves me correctly, uh, that's actually where the church in Philippi uh, had their meetings. So she becomes the meeting, the center base for the church in Philippi. And then the jailer, verse 34, the jailer brings them into uh, his house and sets a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. So this whole journey of mission, it includes opening our hearts, opening up our homes, opening up space in our lives so that other people could come in and receive our love, receive our care, receive our listening ear. Hospitality was such a key virtue of the early church. And here we see both Lydia and the jailer. They provide it right away. It's, it's almost instinctual. It's almost this is what you do when you become a Christian. You, you open up your house. You open up your home. You open up your lives to others. So ultimately, friends, if you walk through these doors, I believe you'll be walking through the door to joy and purpose. And as we follow the one who has the master key, we can trust him to lead us to all the right doors of life and especially to the most important door, the door to eternal life. And that's the door that only he can open.